Hello, this is Pastor Trent. I want to welcome you to the Mountain Home Church of the Nazarene Sermon Podcast. We are thrilled that you are tuning in to hear sermons from our ministries here at our church. It is our hope that the Spirit of Christ would be present with you as you listen today. I do want to take just a moment to invite you to reach out and connect with us. On our website, we have a way for you to do just that. You can visit www.mhnazarene.org slash connect and fill out a very brief form. There's a spot to leave contact info, ask questions, and even to request prayer. Also, be sure to indicate that you listen to us through our SoundCloud podcast to let us know where you're listening. May the Lord be with you this day. Grace and peace to you. Well, I want to say um, good morning to you. It's good to be back together again. Um, I, I actually just got back from camp. I went with my son um, to a camp called Genesis Camp on Friday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of last week. It's for first through third graders, students going into first through third grade. So they make parents come. You know, just to, to get them initiated to camp. It's only a half a week. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I'm a little tired, you know, rolling into the weekend, um, but it, it was good. They even hooked me in to be a, a counselor, too, so I had, like, responsibility there. But <laughs> my poor cabin. Um, but it's good to, be, good to be back together with you. I heard on Wednesday we had an amazing kind of kickoff barbecue to, to summer. There were 82 people that we had recorded there. So, wow, that's great. Um, thanks for showing up and, and turning out to that. Um, you ran us out of food. What, what a great problem to have. Um, but I want to say thanks to Lynn and to the kids' ministry and to the staff for planning that and getting it all set up. I, I did nothing, obviously. I was up at camp, and so it was just great to hear. Um, and we're going to continue to have um, things, uh, things going on Wednesday nights throughout the summer, and we want to invite you to be part of, part of those things. Um, if you've journeyed with us for, for any amount of time, you've figured out that I tend to be a lectionary preacher. Uh, I, love, I love the lectionary. I love following that rhythm and being part of it, uh, you know, part of that, that journey through the calendar year. Um, part of it is I'm not smart enough to pick my own scriptures, and so uh, the lectionary does it for me. It keeps me uh, in this wide variety of, of, of moving through the whole tenor of scripture, um, and keeps me from kind of landing on pet verses or pet, pet scriptures or pet topics, um, stories in the Bible that I'm familiar with. Um, honestly, sometimes I come to lectionary texts and I'm kind of befuddled, like, I don't know what to do with this. Help me, God. Um, and how cool is that, that God tends to show up and, and tends to, to, to be with us. Um, and so, uh, I hope that on those weeks, something I say makes sense and, and God communicates something. Um, if I were a good lectionary preacher, uh, I, I'm just kind of uh, a, a, a marginal one, I guess. I, I'd make a big deal because today is Trinity Sunday. Today is the Sunday where we celebrate God as Trinity, God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, I'm not a good uh, lectionary preacher, so uh, but so we're gonna we're gonna head a different head head a different direction today. Um, if you've been with us for for several summers, you know that in the summer sometimes I like to to deviate a bit from from the lectionary every once in a while. Um, and today we're gonna start one of those deviations. Um, for the summer, we're going to navigate our way through the book of James. 
um, kind of move sequentially from the book. Start at chapter 1, verse 1, and, and read through the Bible uh, week by week uh, through the book, um, hopefully to end about the end of summer, moving through the five chapters uh, of, of James. Now, the problem with James is, is it's a little, bit, a little bit disjointed. It kind of goes here and then goes there and talks about this and talks about that. Um, if, if I were writing a letter, that might be how my letter would be, right? Just something pops into my mind and, and, and I go there. Um, and James kind of does that. Um, the other problem is we've got a lot, of t- lot to talk about in James, if you're familiar with James, we're not going to get to it all. Uh, we have about nine weeks of, of summer here before school starts up again. Um, teenagers don't want me talking about that. But um, what I want you to do, this is my challenge, what I want you to do between this Sunday and next Sunday is I want you to sit down and read through the book of James just in one sitting. And if you can find a place, if you can find a spot to do this, read it out loud. It'll take you about 15 or 16 minutes um, if you don't read it out loud to yourself a lot, it's going to feel really weird. Um, but I, I challenge you to do that because I, I want you to get a sense of this letter, this epistle from James um, as a whole in one sitting uh, and read through it. If you have 15 minutes sometime this week, I want to I challenge you uh, to go ahead and do that. Today we're going to start at James chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read 18 verses of the, of the first chapter there uh, for our, our scripture passage. Um, for those who are willing and able out of reverence for the reading of God's word, I'm going to ask that you stand as we read together today. James chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. From James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are scattered outside the land of Israel, greetings. My brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. After all, you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let this endurance complete its work so that you may be fully mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. But anyone who needs wisdom should ask God, whose very nature is to give to everyone without a second thought, without keeping score. Wisdom will certainly be given to those who ask. Whoever asks shouldn't hesitate. They should ask in faith without doubting. Whoever doubts is like the surf of the sea, tossed and turned by the wind. People like that should never imagine that they will receive anything from the Lord. They are double-minded, unstable in all their ways. Brothers and sisters who are poor should find satisfaction in their high status. Those who are wealthy should find satisfaction in their low status, because they will die off like wildflowers. The sun rises with its scorching heat and dries up the grass so that its flowers fall and its beauty is lost. Just like that, in the midst of their daily lives, the wealthy will waste away. Those who stand firm during testing are blessed. They are tried and true. They will receive the life God has promised to those who love him as their reward. No one who is tested should say, God is tempting me. This is because God is not tempted by any form of evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Everyone is tempted by their own cravings. They are lured away and enticed by them. Once those cravings conceive, they give birth to sin, and when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. Don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. These gifts come down from the Father, the creator of the heavenly lights, in whose character there is no change at all. 
He chose to give us birth by his true word. And here is the result. We are like the first crop from the harvest of everything he created. This is the word of God given to us, the people of God. We say thanks be to God. Please have a seat. And here starts our, our journey through the book of James. So I, I told you it was a bit disjointed. I, I told you the author kind of goes back and forth here and there. Um, it, it's it's going to be a wild ride as we head through the book of James. Anytime we're spending uh, an extended period of time, though, on a book, I, I, hope, I hope that we take time to kind of understand a little bit about the background of that book. I hope that you spend time outside of what I say, A, double-checking what I say, as a preacher know what he's talking about, B, maybe finding some alternate opinions, finding some information out that, that I don't share. Um, James is generally considered what, or, or, or termed what's called a general epistle. It's to Christians everywhere. It's, it's not specific. Uh, general meaning that's the audience. It's general and for everyone. If you if you read some of the other books, they're they're kind of titled specifically, right? The Philippians is to the Christians at the church in Philippi. Colossians is to the Christians at the church in Colossae. Um, and, and the book of James is is a general epistle that's meant for everyone. Lots of lots of scholars kind of dispute the timing of the book, and and with that, the authorship of the book. Um, according to, to tradition, um, this book was written by a, a, a character that has been named James the Just, who was the brother of Jesus. Now, we hear in the Gospels how, how Jesus had a, had a brother named uh, James. Um, James and Jesus were common names in the Middle East uh, back then, and so um, there were certainly lots of Jesuses out there and lots of Jameses out there. Um, but, but what we find at the beginning of this book is, is just this very short introduction, right? Uh, in verse 1, it says, From James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and, and some commentators, some writers and biblical scholars believe that because he just says, this is from James, the, this short intro where, where he doesn't offer a lot of qualifications, doesn't label himself and, and tell of tell who he is, that in that authority is some evidence that we believe that this might be um, the brother of, of Jesus. If that makes sense, uh, likely this book was offered, authored really kind of in the middle of that first century, somewhere between the year 40 and 60, just 10 to 30 years after the ministry of Jesus um, and his death and his resurrection. Others, others believe the writing uh, of James is just so sophisticated that the, the words that he uses and, and, the, and the phrasing that he uses um, probably wasn't the son of a carpenter, that, that possibly maybe it's a different James because of just how, how sophisticated the writing is. Can't really be sure. Um, and yet we think that maybe, uh, or, or some, some scholars believe that maybe uh, this book was written kind of under a pseudonym, a false name, where, where they say, uh, I'm going to write as if I was James, the brother uh, of Jesus. And, and they figure, well, nobody will read the Gospel of Trent or the Epistle of Trent or the Epistle of Bob, so I'm going to give it a, a cool name. We're going to call it James, like the brother of Jesus. James hasn't always really been a popular book. 
with scholars, with people that were interested in, in, in biblical things. Now, um, I'm not going to ask, get myself in trouble about asking stories that you didn't like. I did that with movies a while back, and that didn't go so well for, for those of you who were here. But, but there was one character in particular who really didn't like the book of James. Um, Martin Luther, who was a key player in the Reformation, um, where, where the Protestant church kind of split off from the Roman Catholic church, Luther did not like this book. Uh, he lived in the 14 and 1500s, so it was already present with the New Testament. It was already part of, of what people were learning and were teaching. So he couldn't just do away with it. But he did the next, be- next best thing. He threw it in the back of the Bible. He, when he wrote his translation of the Bible, he's like, he moved it all the way to the end. Like, maybe they won't get there. Maybe, maybe they'll stop at the Gospels. I don't know. He couldn't just throw it out. But he did nickname James the Epistle of Straw. That was just so weak, so weak and so uh, pointless. I'm going to call it uh, the Epistle of Straw. When he compiled the books together, he threw it to the back of the Bible to show its unimportance question is why. Why did Martin Luther do this? Um, Two of the the reasons that he mentions in his writings are are these. First, he he doesn't talk about, the the epistle doesn't talk about the passion of Jesus Christ. He doesn't talk about the fact that Jesus died for our sins. He doesn't talk about the sacrifice that Jesus made. He doesn't talk about the resurrection. Uh, Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, his betrayal, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Uh, To be honest, he doesn't really mention Jesus a whole lot. There's a couple of direct references and a few indirect ones that are scattered about. If you take time to read through it, just this week, if you take time to read through the book, look for that. Look for the times that Jesus is mentioned, um, and, and you'll recognize that it's not, the person of Jesus is not brought up a lot. The second reason Luther was perturbed um, about this book was by all the talks about works in this book. Paul is very explicit on this matter. If you read some of Paul's letters, Paul's epistles, he's very explicit in this one element. We are justified by grace through faith. Faith is that key. Faith is that key that unlocks the salvation that Christ has to offer. We must have faith. And I think Luther really appreciated that and really leaned into that. Now, if you know some of Martin Luther's biographical information, some things that happened in his life, maybe you understand that a little bit. Um, but, but James, as we will read later, challenges that notion that not, not that it takes faith to enter into God's kingdom, but really puts forth the idea that for people who have faith, it always is married with a change of lifestyle. It's always married with this sense of, of, of wanting to respond to the work that Jesus has done in our lives. Um, James, as we're going to read later in the book, challenges that the life of faith that exhibits no works is dead. It is good for nothing. And so we'll read that as we go further on in this book. But if we see the the epistle of James as as written by James the Just, or James the brother of Jesus, um, it's also believed in tradition that that he began to start overseeing the church as it began to grow 
in Jerusalem. Now in Jerusalem, uh, a high, there would be a high concentration uh, of former Jews. Jews who had practiced in the Jewish faith and then had come to hear the story of Jesus and, and begun to follow after him. For the Jews, faith is always a very much embodied thing. For the Jews, to, to have faith was to, to take over your life, to have these rituals and these rhythms of faith, rhythms that were physical and tactile and very much present in the home. Um, and, and this whole sense of practice really became part of what, what became the eastern side of the church. Now, east and west kind of is weird for us. Um, one of the things that I never learned a whole lot in, in school was geography. And, and I've had to learn. I've had, to, I've had to, to brush up a little bit on, from time to time on, on trying to, um, to figure things out. But for the east and the west church, Paul really launched the western half of the church on his missionary journeys. He kind of ventured across the, the Mediterranean Sea and, and had gone to Greece. We talked about that and, and over into Italy and Rome um, and into southern Europe. The, the, the western church really began to develop there. But for the Eastern Church, that was more in, in modern-day Turkey and down into where Israel is located and even down into Egypt. The, the group that moved down to Egypt was really kind of led there by the Desert Fathers. And for, for this side of the Christian movement, this epistle of James became very important, very important for their faith. They had wanted not only to, to understand and, and to have a, a vibrant and growing understanding and mental faith of who Christ was. But they wanted to be faithful in their lives, to do the things that, that God was calling them to do. They wanted it to mean something. And James really became central for them and central for their understanding. And was one, it's one of the reasons that on this year, with our theme of being not so with you, the call for Jesus to, to live a different way. I thought it would be fun for us to dive in to this book of James. Well, we'll talk more about, uh, about James as a book, this epistle, as we go through. Um, I read one author, and, and as she wrote, she wrote that there are, there, there are 13 different major theological themes of James. We only have nine weeks, so we, we can't cover them all, even if we did one, one per week. We're not going to make it. But uh, it's important to understand this book um, as a whole. Um, I want to ask a question as we get started, as we, as we dive into the, the scriptures that we have today. As you were going through school, did anyone ever take a test? Anyone ever take a test? Probably. Probably you did take a test. How, here's, here's the real question. How many of you liked testing? Is there anybody that will admit to that? A few? Okay, I see one in the back. Like, I saw three or four hands, maybe. I loved testing. I, I was not scared by tests at all. Um, and I was, I'm not supposed to brag. I was good at testing. <laughs> I was really good at testing. I, 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 knew, I could know the material, and, and a lot of it was short-term memory. Like, I don't know it now, but I knew it then. Um, I could know the, the, the material. I would recall the material and report the material, and I would get the grade. Testing didn't stress me out at all. It was, it was, it was no problem. 
I, I made my wife mad a couple of times in college because of, because of testing. She did not fall in the same camp as, as me. Um, but, but testing was, was really not an anxiety-producing moment for me. But I'm not sure I like testing of my faith. I'm not so sure I like testing of my faith. That's where James starts his letter. That's where he starts. My brothers and sisters, think of the various tests you encounter as occasions for joy. What form does the testing of your faith take? It's different for each of us. There's some of us going through it right now. Some of us who are struggling in this moment. The loss of a loved one. The suffering of the innocent. Disaster that strikes too close to home and affects people around us. We, we could ask about these test faith-testing faith moments and we would get as many different answers as we have people present in the room today, most likely. It's different for everyone. But James says this, here's what you do. I want you to whine about it and mope about it and compare your stories with your neighbor and tell them how much yours is worse than everybody else. Tell everyone how unfair life is. That's not what James says. <laughs> he doesn't say roll your eyes and stomp your feet and yell, I'm being persecuted. Life is hard to anyone who listens. He says, have joy that these moments are the opportunity for you to have joy, to rejoice in that moment. <laughs> what in the world is James talking about? Why, why would he say this? He tells us why he says this. He says, because it produces endurance. It, it produces endurance in our lives with the end result of being fully mature people, complete, lacking nothing being a whole and solid human. And that's good. James says that, that this is a good thing, that the testing of our faith does have an end, has a purpose, has a telos, has, a, has an ultimate goal in mind. One of the things I love about James, though, is that he always tries to keep things in balance as well. I, I can see I can see the overachiever, you know, in this moment. It's, he, they read this and say, okay, I'm going to have joy in my sufferings. I'm going to have joy in the trials that are on me. So the overachiever says, okay, well, God, then test me. Send them my way. I'm ready. I'm going to have joy in this moment. Send them all my way. And James is like, don't go down that road either. God doesn't send the trial God doesn't send the temptation, the testing. I've seen and heard people respond that way a lot of times. Well-meaning people saying, seeming to imply that God was the one sending the test. God's testing me. Oh, it's just a test I'm going through. Even more hurtful sometimes is, well, maybe God's testing you in a tough and difficult moment. That's not the words that people need to hear, right? 
But James is like, God doesn't send the tests. God doesn't send the trials. But God knows that in those moments of the testing of our faith that that something's happening, that something's working, that God can be moving in the midst of that. What does God do? God enters the picture here in in, in verse 5. If you need wisdom, he says, the epistle of James says, do what everyone else does. Go to YouTube. Google it. If you need wisdom, just just type it into the search engine. What should I do when I... Type that into Google sometimes and see what the recommendations are, the suggestions, if you're brave. He says, if you need wisdom, go to God. Ask God. Seek after God to find it. God's not in the business of hoarding wisdom, of holding, it, holding on to it, of, of rationing out like we're going to run out of food on Wednesday night when everyone shows up for the barbecue. He says, I, God has plenty of, of wisdom to give out, but we have to ask believing. What does asking and then doubting often look like? Well, it's different for all of us. I know for me, it's, it's asking and then letting the wheels grind and turn and play it over and over in my head, wondering, I wonder when the wisdom's going to show up. God, help. James is pretty clear. That person should expect nothing. I want to tell you that often the way the the way of the world is, is both of these things. That often in the, way, the way of the world is to go both of these directions. That when we're tested, we ask questions. Why me? Why do I have to go through this? What is going on? And this is not fair. And I don't contest that at all. But that's the natural and common response. Or they go another direction, take it a step further and ask, why is God allowing this to happen? Why is God doing this to me? And I want to tell you that these are normal and natural responses. I can understand them. I can understand them because I've lived them. Because I've, I've been there. I've done these very things and watched them play out in my own life. But the challenge from James today is even as we start out just out of the gate, <laughs> thanks James, just as, just as we get out of the gate, rejoiced in that trial. Rejoice in that moment. Make room for it. Sit with it. I think sometimes we're, those who follow Jesus even are, are a little obsessed with life being fairly comfortable, life being fairly easy. We want to have a blessed life. We want to do all the right things and check all the right boxes and respond all the, all the right ways so that we kind of have an easy journey. But we also can't go too far. It's not God sending the trial but have joy for the work that's being done. That's our response. 
than that. How we have to approach those moments. What does God do when wisdom is asked for? God doesn't operate out of this economy of scarcity, but operates out of an economy of of lavish generosity, giving to all. Here's wisdom for you, and wisdom for you, and wisdom for you. Verse 16, sometimes we get all confused about where those good gifts come from, and James leaves us no room to ask. <laughs> no, no room to, to wonder, well, maybe, maybe I just responded really well there and some good things happened. James says, no, every good and perfect gift is from above. Amen? But God is the one who steps in in those moments. God is the one who in that trial and in that moment steps in and offers wisdom and makes the difference for us. As we close, I'm going to invite the, the praise team to come up as we sing a closing song today. Uh, I, a number of years ago, I was, uh, I, <laughs> I, was I used to be a teenager. My, my teenagers don't believe that. Um, I used to be a teenager, and when I, and when I was, I was in quizzing um, for about three years. But there was one year that I really kind of took it, took it seriously. It was the year that we studied Romans and James. And I still remember from those James, from those days, this memory verse, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. I want to tell you today that, that in those moments of testing, in those moments where life felt dark and life felt bleak and I didn't know how to move forward. God was present. And those moments when the good and perfect gifts come down from above, that verse had been waiting for me to say to my mind and to remind me, you know where this is coming from, don't you, Freeberg? Don't forget. It's not your competence. It's not your do-it-yourself but every gift, every good and perfect gift comes from above. Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing as we close. Lord, today as we kind of embark on this journey through this book, um, I think it has a lot to speak to us, a lot to say to us about our lives and, and how you've called us to respond in certain ways that the faith that we have and the journey that we're on of following you can help us to respond differently. And today as we look at this first section where it talks about the tests and the trials and the, and the hard times that we go through, I pray. Pray that we would choose to, to look at those moments, to find space for those moments sit with them and to find joy. Not because life is hard. <laughs> we, don't, we don't want hard lives. We don't look, seek after that. But we understand that you're still working in the midst of that. Teaching us and leading us and guiding us. 
I pray today that you would give us that perspective in the things that we face and the trials that we go through. Thank you for this gift of scripture and how we can turn to it and look to it, grow from it. And thank you for speaking to our hearts this morning. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I think we're going to enjoy this journey through James over the course of the summer. I, I'm excited to, to kind of process it through with you. Uh, I know some of you reached out and said when we, we break off into these kind of sequential journeys through books of the Bible that it's really meaningful. Take 15 minutes this week and just sit down and read through the book of James. I, I challenge you to do that uh, this week. Um, as we sing this song, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, we, we remind ourselves of that it is Trinity Sunday. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit wants to walk with us through our moments and through our days, even the testing moments, and to help us to rejoice. Uh, the challenge this week is to sit and hold space for the trials of your faith. Don't flee from them. Don't blame God for them. Don't shrug them off. Instead, hear the words of Jesus whispered in our ears. Not so with you. Not so with you as people of faith in those moments. Embrace them with joy. Asking God for the wisdom to walk through them in faith as God would have you do so. Amen? As a, as a benediction today, we're going to sing our benediction, the doxology. I'm going to invite you, those who are willing and able to stand, we're going to hold out our arms as we sing uh, and sing the doxology uh, this morning. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here Amen. Go in the love of Christ. Thanks for joining us today on the Mountain Home Church the Nazarene podcast. Don't forget to visit us at mhnazarene.org connect if you'd like to connect with us and have a great week.